Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. There are two major views concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit amongst born-again believers. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and new birth are synonymous with each other? That's view number one. So that's the non-Pentecostal view, meaning that there is no distinction between new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They are one and the same. Number two is what we call our, our Pentecostal distinctive. It is this, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and new birth are separate and distinct experiences. You say, well, where do we find that in Scripture? And I think the best example we find in Scripture supporting the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a separate and distinct experience apart from new birth is the example of the original disciples. When were the disciples born again? When did they experience new birth? And we know it's recorded in Scripture. It's John chapter 20. It says in verse 19, Then the same day at evening, this is the evening of the resurrection, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. They're born again at that moment. They received the Holy Spirit he makes them a new person, new creation. The Spirit of God comes to dwell in them. So when did these disciples receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We know where and when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's recorded in Scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them each, or excuse me, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there is where the disciples, these same disciples who were born again on the evening of the resurrection, 50 days earlier on the day of Pentecost, we see them now receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we refer to this experience as the baptism of the Holy Spirit for a reason, because if you read those verses, there was no mention of a baptism of the Holy Spirit, simply that the Spirit of God, Spirit of God was poured out on them, they were filled. So why do we even refer to this as the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Back up just a little bit before Jesus ascended into heaven. He has this last conversation with the disciples. He says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We know this 10 days after he makes those, that speech or those words, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's why we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We know that took take place in Acts chapter 2. We read it. And there's two really prerequisites that are required. Something, two things that are required for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one is this, you must be born again. That makes sense, right? And you can't be filled or baptized the Holy Spirit unless you're born again, unless you're saved, unless you're made a new creation. So that's prerequisite, number one, it's pretty simple. And number two is this, you just simply have to have faith. Faith, you have to have faith to receive healing, right? It's the same way, faith, it's a promise. So you must believe the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is valid, and you receive it by faith. So what is the purpose 
of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because I think the purpose, often in Pentecostal churches, the purpose gets lost. And we think the purpose is something different. Even in Pentecostal churches, we think the purpose is different. But let's go to what the Word says. So Acts chapter 1, this is one of the, what we see the, in the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one is this, look at this, verse 4. Being assembled together with them, this is Jesus speaking, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for what? The promise. Wait for the promise of the Father, which you have said, you have heard me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days round. Number one, it's a promise. The purpose is a promise. The promise has a purpose. Are you following me? So number one, you have to look at it as that. It's a perp- the purpose of it is it's a promise, number one. So Jesus called the baptism of the Holy Spirit a promise. So some Christians would argue this. The experience of the first disciples is, not, is a one-time event. It doesn't ever happen again. But the only, thing, the only problem with that point of view is that it happens three more times in the book of Acts. I don't know, one time again, one-time occurrence, I would say maybe. Two times, I, you still don't have any. Three, four, we're starting to see a pattern emerge. So four times there's a pattern that takes place. New birth in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Peter tells the worshipers in the temple courts after he and the other disciples received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise is to you, And to your children, it's generational. And to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Said this last week, I'll say it again, every time I preach this verse, God is still calling people to repentance and salvation today. The promise is still valid. The promise is valid today, here's why. Because the need for the promise is still there. The need is this, people are lost. You say, well, what does lost people have to do with Pentecost? What does it have to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We can even make, some people will even ask that question even in a Pentecostal church. And here's why, because we've lost the purpose. The purpose is in the Word. We've made the purpose about something else. Here's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are the words of Jesus himself, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive what? Power, so you can be fruity and, and kooky? No. So you can receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be empowered to be a witness. Jesus said to these disciples, you would receive power. When you receive that power, you will be my witnesses. And the power and the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not limited to that time or place. It is a perpetual promise. God is still calling people who are far off, We still need the power of the Holy Spirit today. We receive the power to be a witness. Unfortunately, what happens in in a lot of Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, uh, spirit-filled churches, it's confusing to what people see and what the Word says because often they don't go together. So our spiritual experience must align with the Word, and you shouldn't have to force them to fit together. Unfortunately, spiritual manifestations are more associated with Pentecostals rather than the actual promise. The actual promise, which is a spirit-empowered witness. I want to clarify something before we go any further, because I'm going to mention spiritual gifts later in the series and spiritual manifestations. 
I want to make sure there's a difference between the two as I begin explaining these a little bit more. So when I speak of spiritual gifts, I'm speaking of what we find in the Bible, specifically in 1 Corinthians. A message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. Those nine spiritual gifts that we find listed in the Bible, which are different from spiritual manifestations. Are you following me? Okay, some people associate these spiritual gifts with spiritual manifestations together, but here's what I would argue. The gifts have a purpose. When you operate in spiritual gifts, they, they have a purpose. God has given you a gift or has gifted you uh, for a purpose of most likely uh, furthering the gospel, furthering the witness, to have an impact on a lost person or to encourage someone. So the manifestations and the spiritual gifts are separate from each other, and I'll explain why. I'll give you a good example. A good example of, of, of spiritual manifestation in a Pentecostal, charismatic church, spirit-filled church, whatever, slain in the spirit. This is a great example. It is not a spiritual gift. Nine spiritual gifts. It's not one of them. Now, a term describing this, if you're not, if you're not uh, comfortable or if you're not uh, familiar with the, the phrase slain in the Spirit, it's when someone collapses under the power of God. You lay hands, you pray, whatever, person falls down, collapses. Now, we, I believe this, we can have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that, will re, re, that you will collapse and overcome by the power of God. I don't have any problem with that, but it's not a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual manifestation. You've come in contact with the presence of God, but it's not a gift. It's a manifestation. It may be a manifestation of the Spirit, or it might not be. Because we have something called flesh. And flesh is very susceptible. So likewise, we can have an emotional response to God, and it may feel like a spiritual experience, but it may have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit whatsoever. So I can share verses from the Bible that would collaborate with being slain in the Spirit, but I can also share verses that would contradict that as well. Here's what I choose to do personally. I choose neither to condemn the experience, and I choose never to encourage the experience. If God wants to do it, then let God do it. But I don't need to be the Holy Spirit. So if you have a genuine experience with the Holy Spirit, such as, let's say, being slain in the Spirit, there should be, and hear me, there should be an undeniable purpose. See, the Holy Spirit is not into courtesy calls. He's not going to lay people out on the floor and just say, look how powerful and great I am. Because if you know the Holy Spirit, if you know the Word, that would actually contradict the Word. See, this is what the Holy Spirit does, John chapter 16. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you the things to come. Look at this. He will glorify me. Jesus is speaking this. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. For He will take of what is mine, declare it to you. See, what often we happen in, in some, some experiences with the Holy Spirit is flesh is lifted up, a man is lifted up, a church is lifted up, but Jesus is not being lifted up. Now, we'll say, now, Jesus is being lifted up through me. No, Jesus must be lifted up, period. Glory only goes to him, no one else. Not even the Holy Spirit wants the glory. We'll even glorify the Holy Spirit when if it's a, if it's a move of God, if it's a gift, if it's a manifestation, if it's genuine, Jesus should be lifted up. He should be glorified, period. Again, the Holy Spirit isn't into courtesy falls. He doesn't lay you out on the floor to show you how powerful he is. He knows how powerful he is. He is all-powerful. Go back to the first part of the series. 
Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes or no? Yes, he's God the Holy Spirit. So he is all-knowing, all-powerful. He doesn't have to be reminded how powerful he is. Do, he, do we really think him laying us out on the floor is really an awesome display of his power and glory? Does it go beyond that? I'm not saying nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying we tend to focus on things that are very insignificant. So the Holy Spirit operates in a genuine gifts and genuine manifestation. It will be for a glorifying person purpose, and it will be to glorify Jesus. Often we find spiritual manifestations for the glorification of someone else. And listen, if man is lifted up, that man should quickly say, no, 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 no. Quickly say, this is not about me. Don't glorify me. Don't lift me up. Don't look to me. Look to Jesus. And again, if, if we as men and women of God don't do that, we really begin to delegitimize the Spirit of God. Man should not be lifted up. It's God that should be lifted up. Jesus specifically should be lifted up. And it's not, I'm not saying this, this happens every time. I'm not saying that when, when people fall down, it's flesh. But I am telling you this, sometimes when people fall down, it's just flesh. So if you've ever had a poor experience in a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church, please hear me, it had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. If you had a bad experience in a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church, it had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It had everything to do with man. The Holy Spirit may have gotten the blame, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. So don't allow a misrepresentation of the Holy Spirit to distract you from a genuine promise, a spiritual promise with a meaningful purpose, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So some Pentecostals believe the gifts of the Spirit are only available to people who've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That, that, is, that cannot be supported by Scripture, by the way. Otherwise, think about this. Uh, there are several people we can look out throughout church history that operated in spiritual gifts that never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we define it. So if you've ever experienced this, and some people, I would say this, we, we tend to see Pentecostals operate spiritual gifts more than other believers, and here's why. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've received a promise, a spiritual promise. And your faith is a much, at a much different level. It doesn't mean it's better. It's kind of like this. If you've ever been healed, if God's ever healed you, you have great faith in that area because you know you have received a touch from God that he could heal you and he could heal anyone else. You have greater faith. If you have greater faith, you're going to have a greater capacity for miracles. If God has blessed you financially, you've seen God's faithfulness in the area of finances. You have great faith in that area. You have no problem giving because you know this. You've seen God come through time after time. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not that you're better, you're more qualified. It's simply that you are more open. You have more faith to receive and to operate in spiritual gifts. So to say that a person who is not baptized in the Holy Spirit Cannot operate spiritual gifts is not true. We don't find that in Scripture anywhere. You can't find any where it says that. We just have a greater faith capacity, that's all. And so, therefore, we operate in the gifts a little bit more. So, in Pentecostal charismatic churches, we often place an emphasis on tongues as a genuine sign or manifestation confirming a person has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, why do we place an emphasis on tongues? Why do we place an emphasis on that manifestation? And there's a reason why we do that. And I'm going to give you three examples real quick. We're going to go through them real quick. But the first example is what we've already read, Acts chapter 2. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and each one sat upon them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Example number one. Tongues is one of the, one of the manifestations we see. Is it the only one? No. 
but it's one that we see. Acts chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, look that the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How do we know this verse, next verse? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. We see tongues again as a manifestation, and they magnified God. But tongues, again, being a consistent one that we see in both of these experiences. Let's go to the third example. Paul's ministering to the Ephesians, Acts chapter 19. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. So tongues and prophecy were the manifestations. Again, what is the consistent manifestation you saw in those three examples? Well, tongues. It's the only consistent manifestation that we saw in those three experiences. Are we saying that that is the only manifestation? No, but we're saying it is the consistent manifestation that we see in Scripture. Are you following me? We make it really crazy in the Pentecostal church. Are there other manifestations that could follow the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we put an emphasis on tongues because it's the only physical manifestation that we can look at consistently across Scripture. I think it gives us more validity as a, as a movement because we're not basing this belief on one Scripture. We're saying, listen, and it's not only just three, there are actually four examples. That is, for time's sake, just chose three. So this is a direct quote from our Assemblies of God website, believing uh, on our beliefs uh, portion of the website. It says this, the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism of believers in the Holy Spirit is witnessed by the initial physical evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives them utterance. It's the first, it's the consistent physical manifestation. It's not the only one. We're just saying it's the only one that we can recognize from Scripture consistently. We're not saying it's the only, but it's the only consistent one that we see in Scripture. Again, just look at the quote itself. It's funny. What we try to do sometimes is we try to put what I've heard and what I thought always into what it says, rather. The physical, the initial physical evidence, the only one we can find in Scripture that is consistent is speaking with other tongues. So are there other manifestations? Yes. Are they consistent? No. We don't have any consistency. The only one we see consistent in Scripture is speaking in other tongues. Now, not everyone who speaks in other tongues, please hear me. Not everyone who speaks in other tongues has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know that goes against our ideology, but it doesn't go against the Word. I'm going to show you why. Because here's what can happen often with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's say, for example, we pray for someone to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues. Now, when I hear that, I'm always like, okay, we'll see, though. Because that's the way we should be. Because here's why, we place such an emphasis on the, the tongues that we forget the purpose. What is the purpose? Spirit-empowered witness. Not empowered to speak in tongues, empowered to be a witness. Tongues are a manifestation, but it's not the purpose. This is an easy one to spot. It's an easy one to clarify. And if we would just do this more often, we wouldn't look at as we're so as crazy. So the purpose of the baptism is what Jesus said, power to receive a witness, or power to be a witness. So let's say a person, pray for a person, they speak in tongues. But after that, there's no change in how they witness. There is no love, love gained love for the lost. There is no passion to reach the lost. This person has just simply spoken in tongues. 
I would then question the legitimacy of that experience. Because the purpose, what is the purpose? You're going to hear this from the rest of the series. You're empowered to be a witness. You're not empowered to speak in tongues. That's not the purpose. There's the gift of tongues. But the reason why we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the reason why we receive this promise is to be a witness. So when a person receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they can still cuss out their neighbor and still say, oh, I don't care, that person just go to hell. There's something wrong with them. Let's say this, a person who speaks in tongues, but they can gossip about everyone. I question the legitimacy of their experience. I mean, if they gossiped about people, got baptized the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, they gossip about people again, I question the legitimacy of their experience. And so should you. Because there's something called spiritual fruit. If we're filled with the Spirit, if we're baptized with the Spirit, don't you think we should have a greater capacity than for spiritual fruit should be evident? Let me ask you this. Do you want to be witness to someone who talks, I mean, they can preach the Bible, they can, they can quote, they can speak in tongues, but they live like hell? Or would you rather have someone who maybe is not so articulate, but boy, they can sure live the Word of God? That's the witness I'm going to pay attention to. It's the person who can live the Word, not just say the Word. So there is a connection between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and also the fruit of the Spirit. So not all people who speak in tongues have a legitimate experience. Sometimes people don't experience the authentic promise because of the environment they were in. Pushed down, pulled up. I've seen this. Um, I think this is a, it's totally wrong to do it this way. And here's why I'm going to show you this. You get someone who wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everybody gets around them starts speaking in tongues. How many times I've seen this happen, especially with kids and teenagers. There's such an atmosphere that takes place that these kids and, and adults are the same way. You, you can be at a breaking point in your life, desperate in your life, and you want to receive this promise, and everyone's around you speaking in tongues, and all of a sudden you just find yourself speaking in tongues. But here's the thing. You know, this is something you, we all have to accept. Because again, what happens after you receive tells you the story. Because if you don't see a change, then what was that all about? What was the purpose? Go back to the purpose. Spirit-empowered witness. If you're not empowered to be a witness after you receive, you just have to say this. Maybe I just got caught up in the moment. Am I delegitimizing the gift or the prompts? Absolutely not. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Flesh sometimes gets in the way. And sometimes we provide environments for this to happen. I'll give me a great example. This is a great example. We just look at experiences from the Word. Why don't we just go back to what the Word says? Because this is what we do a lot in Pentecost church. We, we create an environment and an atmosphere where you almost feel like high-pressured salesmen for people to receive. Why don't we just let a genuine, authentic move of God take place in our lives? And here's what I mean. Let's just look at what the Bible says. In two of the circumstances where people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit spoke to them, no one laid hands on them. No one even prayed for them. Day of Pentecost, what were they doing? Gathered there, worshiping. The Spirit of God was poured out. No one prayed for them. No one laid hands on them. They simply received the promise. Hey, listen, I can't think of a more authentic, genuine way to confirm in your heart that you've received such a wonderful promise when there's no one else around you simply receive from God. Give you another example. What about when, when Peter was preaching to court in the, the household of Cornelius and the Spirit of God fell upon them as they heard the word and they received the promise that they spoke in tongues? No one laid hands on them. No one gathered around them, pushed them, give up, give in, say this, say that. Never happened. We, this is something we add to Pentecostalism. 
Here's why. We try to help people be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can't do that. You're not the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit do the baptizing. Amen? Paul, Paul, another example. Paul laid hands on the Ephesians. But do you know in any of these circumstances we don't read where anyone laid hands and spoke in tongues while the person is trying to receive tongues? Do you know you can't find one of those in the Bible, one of those experiences? But we do it all the time. Why? Because we think we have to help that person speak in tongues. Or, or with this, I don't know any better. That's just the environment I learned, so I just do it again. I, except, I happen for me, so it must happen that way all the time. Why don't we just trust God? I don't know about you. Sometimes I just like to, to let God be God and just get out of the way. It's amazing that God can do things all by himself. He doesn't need my help whatsoever. Don't we want people to have a genuine, authentic promise that you're experiencing? Why would we want it to muddy any of that water? Because this is what often happens to people who receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Especially when you have someone in, the, in a circle, and you have five people laid hands on them, and they're praying in tongues, they start speaking in tongues, they automatically go home. I've heard this, I don't mean how many times I've heard this. Now, was that me or was that God? See, that should be undeniable, not questionable. Why don't we allow that person to have an environment or a circumstance where they can just receive from God? Again, do we want to legitimize the promise or do we want to delegitimize it? I even say this, if you're praying for someone to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can stand behind them, pray, lay a hand on them gently, and don't speak in tongues. Pray for them to receive. Why would we want to try to manipulate that whatsoever? I don't think that's our intention. Our intentions are good. We want a person to receive because we've received but allow them to receive. Don't muddy the waters. See, this goes against our Pentecostal practices, but it doesn't go against the Word of God. Let's go back. Let's go back to the Word, right? Let's not go back to our, our practices, or our traditions. Let's simply just go to the Word. What's the danger in that? God might be God. People can be so eager to receive the promise. They hear someone speaking in tongues. They start, they start speaking in tongues. Does that mean they're not baptized in the Holy Spirit? I'm not saying that. Because you know, sometimes you could be in a circle of people, receive, and there's nothing wrong with that. But why do we even want to get involved in that? Why don't we just let God be God? Why can't we just allow people to receive? All right, I've heard this happen before too. I'm sure some of you have heard this too. A person has a hard time receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just say this word over and over. And you'll get your motor running and you'll start speaking in tongues. You've just manipulated the gift. You've delegitimized it completely. Why would you ever want to do something like that? The Holy Spirit will pour out when he wants to pour out, on whom he wants to pour out, when he wants to pour out. All you have to do is what we find in the book of Acts is receive. Just receive. I'm just saying sometimes it happens for people immediately, and sometimes it takes a long time. And it usually has to do with the person. And it's mostly up here. If you just say, forget it, just receive. It's amazing what takes place. God baptizes people in the Holy Spirit. So we're baptized in the Holy Spirit for the promise or for the purpose of a witness, not speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a manifestation that follows the experience, but it's not the purpose. In fact, later in the series, we're going to talk about the three purposes for tongues that we find in the Bible, the gift of tongues, tongues as a sign that we're talking about here, and then tongues that is a personal prayer language. When you see those three distinctly, it helps you totally understand what the Bible is talking about. So what is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? A witness. We don't have to look any further than the disciples. What about Peter's experience? Before, before he is baptized in the Holy Spirit, Peter denies Jesus three times, right? Jesus is arrested. 
He's taken to the high priest. Uh, Peter comes back. He's in the courtyard. He's kind of milling around there. They, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Three times and he denies to these officials, to these people that are around the high priest. But look at him after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's his reaction? Peter, Peter is not afraid anymore. Peter has a boldness. He has a confidence. He's empowered to be a witness. So after Peter and the other disciples received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're transformed by the power of God. The disciples are anointed to preach. They're empowered by the Spirit to share their testimony, to live their testimony. One day, on one occasion, we find this. Peter and John both. Peter and John received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They prayed for a lame man at the temple gate. A man who sat there at the gate begging all the time. They lay hands, or they pray for him. He, he's healed. So John and Peter pray for them, miraculous healed. The officials of the temple, they're like, what's going on? What, what, what's taking place? Who gives you the authority? How did this happen? We know this man's a lame. How did he receive this miracles? What's, what's taking place? The same people that Peter and John stand before are the same people who condemned Jesus to death. Do you realize that? The same high priest. So they question Peter and John. And this is what they say. Again, they're just fishermen. They're not preachers. They're not theologians. But they have encountered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he, was, he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Man, there's some boldness right there, isn't there? You know, the guy you just crucified. Whom God raised from the dead, by this man stands here before you whole, healed. This is the stone which has, was rejected by you builders. I mean, he's bold. He is in their face. I mean, he's quoting scripture to them. Now, this is an Old Testament verse he's quoting. So the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, stone, excuse me, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I see a spirit-empowered witness, don't you? Now, when they saw the boldness, when the high priest and all the officials who had Jesus condemned when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. They marveled and realized these men had been with Jesus. What is the difference between these men then and now? It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're saved and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, period. There's an undeniable change of faith, an undeniable change of courage, character that we see from these men when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why are we so impressed when people speak in tongues but they have no character change? They have no witness change. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there should be a boldness. You should have a boldness to testify to others concerning your faith in Christ. If you have a hard time witnessing to others, maybe you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's for. It's what the, I'm afraid I'm going to act kooky and spooky. No. That's a choice. That is a decision. That's not what the Spirit compels you to do. I can't stand it when people say, oh, I'm just, the Holy Spirit comes over and just makes me do these things. No, he doesn't because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So now are we going to have spiritual manifestations and gifts and conflict with the fruit of the Spirit? That does not compute. That doesn't make any sense. It contradicts the Word. John and Peter demonstrate a Spirit-empowered witness. Tongues are a sign. Tongues are a spiritual gift. Tongues are a prayer language. We'll go into that deeper next, year, next week. And I'm not trying to condemn tongues whatsoever. I mean, this is what Paul says. Tongues have a purpose 
in the body of Christ. Too often we don't function in the purpose, but there is a function. Paul says this in Corinthians, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. That's an instruction to the church. Don't forbid the speaking of tongues. The two main purposes for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a Spirit-empowered witness and a Spirit-empowered purpose, a ministering purpose. Tongues without a demonstration, with, without a demonstration of a Spirit-empowered witness is questionable. Again, when you have tongues and no Spirit-empowered witness, it's questionable. But when you have someone who has a genuine experience and they have a, a change of heart, a change of, I mean, even their, their thrust, their, their focus on lost people changes, you know that they've had a legitimate encounter with the Holy Spirit. So if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you've lost your passion for the lost, allow God to fill you again. Allow him to touch your life. You don't have to call into question. If you know you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you've lost your passion for lost people, you simply just need to receive again. Allow God to pour out on you again. Because that's the purpose. Well, I just thought I just need to speak in tongues. No, you need to be empowered by the Spirit. That's what you should desire. The only solution that can dramatically change our community isn't another church. It's not even better services. What will dramatically change our community is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, the Holy Spirit empowers us to go to be with the lost. Go to the lost to reach them. But it's amazing that Pentecostal churches, we tend to do this. We want everyone to come to us. But the Bible says that we go to them. As Pentecostal churches, we want to have great services. We want the power of God to fall. We want the power of God to be in our heart. But we want, we want it to be in here. Why is that? But you don't find that in the Bible. What do they do? They receive the power and they immediately go out. Out where the lost are. When is the last time you saw someone out in public, like the beggar that we see at the temple gate, in the book of Acts, and you prayed for that person? See, this is why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not so we can be fruity, spooky, and kooky. It's so that we can be empowered to be a witness, to live the gospel, to share the gospel. Acts 14, 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That statement right there should just stand out to you. These people had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and people knew that these people had been with Jesus. They talked like him. They acted like him. The character, the nature that they have is the same that this Jesus had. The high priest knew Peter and John again weren't theologians, weren't professionals. They were fishermen. And he sees a dramatic change in life. This is why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, church. So does your spirit and life, powered life, cause people to do this? You've been with Jesus. Shouldn't you want that anointing? Shouldn't you want the presence of God upon your life in that way? That you know what? You're not trying to make a public spectacle. You're not trying to coerce people into a relationship with God. You're just simply living your life as a Christian, and people see the power of God upon you. And they say, wait a second. Something's different about this person. The difference is you've been with Jesus, and it's tangible. It takes place in your life. I mean, isn't that what we want? A compelling testimony? Church, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives more than ever. In our church and upon our church. If we're going to fulfill the promise, the promise is this, to fulfill the purpose, which is the Great Commission. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Our church, our community needs to see a community that is reaching the lost, powered witness, a witness that reveals the fruit of the Spirit, a witness that reveals Christ in us. 
Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.